Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you here tuning in from wherever you are around the world, around the country. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Today, I have a very, very special guest. Brad Clifton, Editor-in-Chief of Australian Golf Digest, joins us to talk about talk about something that we had a little bit of an insight into. Uh, the April edition is about to come out. Brad can tell us all about that. Adam Scott's on the cover. It's a special time for Adam Scott with 10-year anniversary of the Masters. The Masters are about to drop. Brad Clifton's waiting to chat to us. He's going to talk about all of that and plenty more to do with uh, the golf landscape in Australia and the golf media landscape in Australia. Let's bring Brad Clifton in. Brad Clifton. Brad, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. We've talked about this for a little while. It's great to finally get you here and uh, joining us. You're in Sydney. I'm in Melbourne. Thanks for joining us, mate. It's good to see you. Uh, pleasure to be on, Ross. It's, uh, you're, you're right. We have talked about it for a while now, so it's great to finally get it done and pretty good time of year to start talking about golf. It's that time of the year when we think about that green jacket. Absolutely. We've had a good warm-up. There's been a couple of good tournaments to start uh, the year. The players, the Dell match player, the, I, can't, I still can't believe, I can't get my head around that the match players not going to exist. I, I, we'll talk about that later. Um, Editor-in-Chief, that's that's the right title, isn't it? Oh, it's close enough. That'll do. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll take anything, mate. That's, um, yeah, look, it's been an uh, interesting time for golf media. It's uh, I, I tell people all the time, it's never there's never been a better time to be writing about golf, really. it's uh, with, with what's happening with the advent of Liv and PGA Tour and obviously major season now, but um, plenty of stuff to, to talk about and write about, which is great for us. Um, COVID, probably, it's widely known now COVID gave golf a bit of a free kick. So not too many other sports have uh, been able to flourish on the back of a pandemic like we have, but being a, uh, a sport that people are allowed to play and naturally, uh, yeah, rewards uh, social distancing. It's um, it's been it's been a blessing for us, and as a result, the industry's flying, and and more people are playing golf than than ever, which is great. And we're just riding the wave, mate. It's been fantastic. Yes, uh, and you and I know both know what to do. All the listeners know what I do. I make a living out of golf, as as you do, and and many people that have been on this podcast do. And I don't want to you know be too flippant about how this buoyancy is, because people ask you, want to know, has golf, has the business? Are you seeing a downturn? Like, is everything all right? And like. Mm. You just have to say people are playing golf and people are happy getting out there, hitting a golf ball and it's making them feel better. So they're investing in themselves and investing in the game and golf's in a great space and therefore golf businesses, magazines, golf retail, mm. golf podcasts, all doing pretty well. So, um, mm. so we're not, it's, uh, it's, it's good. It's a weird conversation, isn't it? It's, um, I, I'm a bit like you. I've, spoken to people and they're thinking, oh, publishing, you must be doing it tough. And it's like, it's actually, it's a really interesting conversation to actually say to them, well, it's, it's not at the moment. It's actually, golf is is booming, um, which, uh, you know, when, as you mentioned before, you think about, you know, the financial hardship that many people are having right now in different sectors, different industries, mm -hmm. interest rates and cost of living and stuff. Um, golf's managed to avoid that. I suppose the big question now for us is, are we going to, you know, hit a face of a cliff and drop off, or are we going to learn from previous mistakes of, of years gone by and 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 get that player retention and, and work out what the secret is to retaining even just capturing twenty five percent of this new new bunch of people playing golf? That's that's the key. But I think we've got some really smart people in the right positions running the game, and um, 
it, it's you know that's the task now is is how we maintain this momentum and keep the wave going. But um, yeah, it's, it's an extraordinary time, and um, golf media is obviously hasn't slowed down one bit, which is um, which is great for us from a personal point of view. But lot plenty to write about, uh, as we'll probably get to, no doubt, with, uh, with the advent of uh, another another tour as well. So well, we'll, loop, we'll loop back to the golf media and, and a little bit of general golf chat, but. You know, one of the things that we connected on, the reason why it was so prescient to have this podcast now is because uh, back at the Australian Open, uh, and this gives people an insight into how long you know a magazine takes to put together, which you can talk to, but back at the Australian Open, I was down there doing some work, full swing golf, drum and golf, and um, part of that was being down there with the cameras and interviewing uh, Dame Laura Davies and Ashley Buhai, uh, great experience, and then you know we were in the media sort of hub, and uh, you guys going, oh, you got the cameras down here, so maybe you can help us with something. So um, it was to do with Adam Scott, and I was like didn't take any any second of a second thought to go. I'd, I would be a fly on the wall in the conversation, let alone doing something uh, to help. You can take over for, because Adam Scott adorns the April edition of Australian Golf Digest, which is, it stands now. Um, you can take over what happened from there. Yeah, so look, I mean, this probably shows you just how much um, golf magazines have changed over the years because in years gone by, we would have just had a photographer there taking still shots of something for a cover shoot like this. But being the uh, digital world we live in now, we we really thrive on video content as well. And Obviously, having you guys down there at the Australian Open was a really good opportunity to, uh, you know, tick that box as well. We had Adam for an hour, um, quite an interesting little setup. We we did, a, as most things like this, they they happen on a on a bit of a whim because you're sort of relying on that that player's schedule and what they can and can't do. And Adam was just just terrific that day. He had a a, a good hour or so um, of time and that he gave us very very generous. But we had to sort of find a location, a suitable location. Because um, I'm bouncing between a photographer and, and you guys and, and a few other, his manager, and um, there was a lot to organise in a very short amount of time, and we managed to set up shop out the front of a, a battle weary uh, pro shop, the Cheltenham Golf Club uh, pro shop, from memory. So it was, um, which happened to be right near the media centre. But um, yeah, it was just a great insight. So obviously, we, you know, two years ago, I reckon I, I I knew that the April issue in 2023 could only be one person on it. It was going to be Adam Scott. Obviously, 10 years since he won, which I still shake my head. I still can't believe it's been 10 years already. Um, pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, we got Adam there, had a shot, uh, had, had a great photo shoot, had a great chat. We got him to relive all his favourite shots that he played in 2013 and, and to try and explain to our readers how, how to play them and, and how that people can still actually use his, his methodology from back then to to shoot better scores today. And what I love about Adam is he's a very articulate guy, very, very polished. And he, he, often when you do shoots with, with golfers, professional golfers, they, because they're in a different stratosphere to us from an ability level, they don't, they don't know how to explain that in layman's terms a lot of the time for the amateur. But Adam's really, really good with that. He's uh, He puts himself in the shoes of the everyday Aussie golfer and uh, it was a great shoot. We got some great footage out of it, obviously, through you guys as well. And um, I think what we learned there today, it was a few surprises, but I think um, understanding who the real Adam is, um, you know, people think he's just polished, doesn't put a foot out of line. And which is true, but you get him in a relaxed environment like that, talking about something he really loves talking about, and he just comes out of his shell. And he's just a a, a really really cool guy. Um, there was a moment there where we got him to reenact the "Come on Aussie, um, Come on Aussie" cover shot um, from 2013, and um, you know this, we we won't repeat what he said from that day, Ross. But uh, it, it, it's fair to say it, it caught us all off guard. It was quite uh, a bit of a larrikin sort of take uh, that many people probably wouldn't have thought you know, existed underneath the exterior of that polished uh, 
2003 Masters champion, but he, uh, he he really came out of his shell and he really enjoyed it as much as we did. I think, you know, you reflect on that when, you know, because what well, just to explain a little bit more, you know, the, the photographers were there and, and photographers have to sometimes work. Yeah, they're used to working with the uh, people that they're taking the photos of and they're trying to get them to push them into positions that might be a little bit unnatural in a photographic sense, but they just know that it's going to work in a, in a cover or, or an image. So they've got to recreate things and, and sometimes that's not easy but I really was reflecting on that and like Adam I felt after talking about the masters talking about through the shots talking about Steve Williams talking about all the things that he spoke about I, mm. I just think it brought all that emotion back to the surface and like when, when you asked him say yeah can you recreate that position that you know when you won and and what came out and it was like this guttural roar and like you could have heard it at half a suburb away and I just think it was this emotion of the feeling just came back to him and and it was um, it was unbelievable to see the uh, i don't care what he said it was you know uh, it, it was just the emotion that was attached to it i thought he really still connects with with that. He, he really does i mean look it's the biggest moment of his of his life yeah and you know uh, anyone who has a, a moment whether it's academic or with their kids or family or whatever it is there's everyone has a moment in their life where they look back and it triggers something like that and for adam it's that that sunday afternoon around augusta in 2013 he you can just see you watch his face when he's trying to answer a question and he, he does he, he gets caught up in the moment again and I think he really enjoys reliving that moment um and it, it, one thing that really strikes me about Adam and and a lot of athletes a lot of professional athletes because they're in a different stratosphere to us mentally they think about everything differently um his ability to recall detail from certain moments is just that blew my mind I know uh, Glenn McGrath is a great example a test cricketer who took buckets, bucket loads of wickets over his career, but he can go back and recall every single wicket, who it was, which player it was, what ground it was, what year. He's just got this unbelievable uh, memory. Um, and, and and it's interesting when you compare that with guys like Adam as well. Like he, he was going back and we were asking him about particular shots and particular lies that he had and, you know, what he was actually thinking, you know, he, he, within that shot. And he, it was like he was – it's like we just went back to 2013. Yeah, yeah. Pretty incredible. Um, it was literally like being there again. Um, well, you were there. You were there. You were standing, yeah, yeah right by that uh, 18th green when he sunk that putt and then obviously on the playoff hole you were there as well. So mm. yeah, we might talk about that in a second. Um, you know, like just to give the listeners this deeper insight into – so you get Adam there for a shoot. Um, how long, you know, like how long before did you know that you were going to have access to Adam? To get to get him there, to, and it really was like you can you can see it in some of the video that you talk about that's on your LinkedIn, for example. It really is under the awning of Cheltenham Golf Club. No disrespect to Cheltenham Golf Club; it's a beautiful no. little golf club in a beautiful right, location. Right. Yeah. They provided a yeah. great facility, but it's not the glitz and glamour of the PGA yeah. Tour that maybe they might get in and expect in America. I don't know, but it was yeah, just no. there under the and it was a bit windy. How long did you know you had Adam and you're going to get that access to him? I, I, we'd, we'd arranged that probably a few weeks out from, from the open, but we had to obviously iron out the finer details of the timings and stuff because, as I said before, these guys during tournament week, I mean, it's just very much on a whim. You, you, you don't have any control over their schedules because they have, you know, corporate um, you know, meetings. They have all these different commitments with different sponsors and fans and 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 just the tournament um, commitments themselves as well with 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 training and and you know practice and all that sort of stuff. So we we probably didn't know the exact details until almost on that day um, in terms of timings. We knew that we were going to get him after the pro am on the Wednesday, um, but again, it was it was up it was up in the air as to when and where. And then when I I got 
basically notification of, all right, he's going to do it here. Press conference is going to go for about half an hour. And then straight out of that, he's all yours. So that gave us that lead time to write, well, where are we going to do this? And, uh, you know, we had to make it logistically easy because we had a bunch of cameramen there, um, you know, and we had to make sure that the the, the setting was right, the, the you know, the, the sheer size of the space that we were working in because we, we knew we were going to have him swinging a golf club for some instruction that we were doing as well. So many different things you got to think about. And in the end, we landed, as we said, on in front of the pro shop at Cheltenham Golf Club. I mean, he's a guy who wears Rolexes and has beautiful luxury cars. He's chauffeured everywhere. And here he is standing outside this humble, you know, battle-weary pro shop that's uh, got, you know, the 80s colouring to it and everything about it. But the minute you throw up a white screen behind the guy, you could literally be standing anywhere. And it's... um. It's quite fascinating, like that. But it, he's so humble in in everything. He doesn't think about anything like that. It's just like, yep, yeah, let's let's do it. You know? And and the first thing he said, I remember from the shoot, because we said this is what we want to do, and he he just went, oh, this is going to bring up some great memories, mm-hmm. and and that's exactly what it did. And and you know, I was probably told we'd get half an hour to forty five minutes, maybe, but it ended up dragging on for an hour. I, I think it actually, in truth, went close to about an hour and a half. Um, yeah, well, we, we got we got a, definitely an hour's worth of video, so I know when I put yeah. that off, I had a look at that and it was like fifty seven minutes. So there was exactly so when you when you throw in yeah. you know the organising between different shoots that we were doing, um, plus general conversation as well. I mean, he's always up for a chat and. Um, you know, it was fantastic. I got to pay a bit of credit too to to Evan Priest, our yeah. PGA Tour writer too, who's formed a great relationship with Adam over the over the course of the journey covering the tour over there as well. So it was nice to have the whole team together, and it just felt like it. It, it didn't feel like a day uh, on the job, really, did it? It just felt like we were just being treated to something that you know we're very very lucky to have. Well, that's and my next question. Uh, as someone who has done a couple of interviews, I'm not a journalist. So I just like I'm just a bloke who talks about golf and likes talking to golfers about golf. Um, that seems to come somewhat easy to me. But, you know, watching Evan work and, and having followed Evan's journey and, and see him do some great work with you in Australia and then overseas, you know, then how much sort of work did you and Evan have to do to say, right, this is what's going to happen when we go? Or does that just come naturally to Evan as well because he has that relationship with Adam? It comes pretty naturally. Um, you know, the, 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 it's hard. It's, it's really difficult, um, particularly for an Australian journalist, to form those relationships when these guys are living and breathing golf in America, like they're over there, you know, 11 and a half months of the year, most times. So getting that contact, that regular contact with these guys and being able to form a level of trust and, and a relationship is, is, is really difficult to do. You see maybe a handful of journalists in America who are able to do it because that's where they're based and they're following tour every, every stop. Right. But it's always been a challenge for, for Aussies to to get access to these guys, and Evan's really done a, a terrific job um, being based over there now and living in Florida. He's you know living shacking up with a couple of mates at Cam Smiths, and literally lives up the road from Cam, and um, has, has had a great relationship with all our guys on tour over there. So that's certainly it's not something that happens overnight. It takes time, um, but it's you know it's it's a really important thing for for golf coverage to be able to have access like that i mean it's like any professional athlete a lot of the time you really you just you're relying on a on a player manager to really gain you know give you that grant you that access which which is fine and that's what they're paid to do and that's great um but to be able to have a guy walking side by side with these guys over there and, and have that level of trust it's it's really really cool for moments like that that shoot because adam was just extremely relaxed he, he just knew from the outset that it was just going to be a fun 
a fun shirt, obviously talking about something that was really close to his heart and he still loves talking about, which, which certainly helps as well. Um, but when you think about the, the dynamic of the game at the moment, it's very politically charged with what's happening on tour. It was actually just a bit of a, a nice sort of escape from yeah. all that. Talk about something that was really one of the most iconic moments in the history of Australian sports. So um, definitely those relationships, uh, when, you, when you're trying to organise something like that, they certainly play a big part in, in making it as successful as it was. So then, you know, we have this great chat with Adam, capture that all in film, uh, on, on in stills and, and video. Uh, and then that's December, early December. Um, then what happens? You know, we're, April, we're about to be hit April, it's March. Yep. You know, how do you put that together? When do you start sort of crafting yeah. the words that the reader's going to read in the story when they pick up their magazine and they, if they've listened to this, they're going to pick it up and go, oh, that's what they're talking about. How long does that process take? Look, it takes a while because obviously uh, the, the photographer goes away, he goes through, sorts through the photos, comes back with a, a, a giant list of proofs for, for me to look at and I pick what I want and then it goes back and forth and we we sort of work there in terms of what we want and he, he you know, the photographer will get his team to make the necessary edits and whatever's required with, with those images. But in the meantime, you're obviously compiling for something as big as this in this issue with Scotty. I mean, we did about 20-odd pages on Scotty, so it was a combination of instruction and obviously him talking about 2013 with Stevie Williams. So it was a lot of content to put together. But when you're working in the magazine world, you actually work two months in advance. So back then in December, we'd already started our February issue. So... You know, you've got other things happening on the go as well, which obviously makes it um, a, a juggling act. So you're constantly thinking two months ahead. So hence why the shoot back in December. I mean, obviously, logistically, it was the best time to get Adam. Um, but, you know, the, the turnaround is often, you know, you can turn around content pretty quickly, really. I mean, we could write a feature in, a, in you know, a feature of that size. I mean, you depending on how many people you need to speak to and stuff, but you can turn that around in a matter of days, you know, if not a couple of weeks, depending on... Who you're waiting on but yeah it's 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 a bit of a process from there to get that into the final product in the magazine because you do have to get the uh the images and and other other areas of the production cycle that you know require stuff too so it's uh, all in all you know we work on every issue for a four-week period but we're actually we're working two months in advance so i'm as to give you a rough idea now i'm i'm working on our our um, june issue May and June issues. So it's, you know, we try and work on sort of two on the go at the moment. So um, it makes the years go quick. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I've learned being doing this now for, you know, 15 odd years. It's um, you, you, you really lose track of time because, you know, early January, February, you're working on the April issue and you're thinking, all oh, you're thinking about is Masters early in that year. I mean, the everyday punter at home doesn't think about Masters until this week, pretty much, right? Yeah. They, they start thinking about it. We're, we've already been living in Brooklyn for months because we're trying to get this issue out. So it's, um, and before you know it, uh, Christmas is here and you think, well, what happened? What, where did that year go? That's yeah. crazy. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting process, but um, it, it is a timely one when you're doing stuff like that because you do rely on a lot of different people. When does when does the magazine uh, go to bed in terms of print? So when when is it like, when was the final cutoff for that? Yeah, that's it. The plates are done. We're printing today. Yeah, we generally send around about the 12th of each of each month right. so so for the april issue that was uh march 12 and then that comes on sale within about two to three weeks of that send um date so there's like a two or three week turnaround from the printers before it hits the newsstands um so yeah it's it's 
you know, I've never missed a deadline in, in my time. And uh, there's been times where I've, I've thought, you know, just waiting on, you know, it's, it's and I don't want to dob people, but it's generally the advertising side of the, the company that you, you, you're relying on the deadline more so than the editorial guys. But um, because obviously, you know, you're dealing with, you know, dozens and dozens of clients to get their their artwork in. And, um, you know, there's been times where I've, I've sat back and thought, oh, we're in, we might be in strife here, yeah. but um, we've always managed to get, get it over the line. But um, yeah, it's uh, generally about the, the same time every month and we have a rolling sort of four week. Sometimes we get what we call a five week issue and it just so happens the way the calendar's worked where we buy ourselves an extra week for a few issues. And if we're clever enough at the start of the year, we try and plan that for the issues where we probably could do with that extra week. And a master's issue is generally one of them because it's one of our bigger bigger issues each year. So um, it's it's a matter of sitting down with our production manager and being a little bit strategic in how we set out that calendar. Um, and the, the Australian summer of golf is obviously another time, you know, leading into Christmas there. We generally do really, really big issues because we'll have the official program of, of the open as part of the magazine as well. So there's a lot to, a lot to get done. Um, and generally uh, five weeks is a lot better than four to have to, to do that work. Just uh, finishing off on the Adam chat and then we'll keep going. We'll talk about masters and we might come and talk about some of that publishing and the, and the wave and the golf tours and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I still reflect on it a lot and, you know, we've sent you the video and every time I look at it, I go, oh, you know, what an amazing moment. But uh, when he was talking about the putt, uh, and Stevie Williams reading the part, yep. and I think he might have questioned Steve. You know, are you yep. sure, Steve? And just yep. just the the delivery of "Are you sure, Steve?" And Steve, you know, the way he responded, "Yes, Adam." You know, it's like I've been here a few times. I've I've done this radio before. It's two yeah. it's two cups. Yeah, yeah. I think he added a expletive uh, <laughs> in, in that response when Adam asked him. He said, "It's definitely two and a half cups." Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's that's why these guys are paid the big money, and that's why Steve Williams, um, you know, oh, it's a big argument. Say he's the greatest caddy of all time. I mean, you you be on the bag. I mean, it's it's interesting because in our interview with him, he he spoke about, you know, there's a perception out there when you're on Tiger Woods' bag, it's like, oh well, anyone can be on Tiger Woods' bag. But and he said to it, there's an element of truth in that. He said, you and I could probably stand and carry Tiger Woods' bag, and Tiger's still going to shoot 68, 67 at his peak quite comfortably, right? But it's it's the take it's it's everything else in that environment you know that you've got to deal with like being a caddy you, you you're their confidant you 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 so many other things in that player's life and I think what he learned from being on the bag of Tiger to be able to take that across to Adam um, he, his mission really from the word go with Adam was I'm you know we, we, you're going to be a major champion and you, you are good enough and that's coming from a guy who's watched the best arguably the best ever. Um, and and help him make those decisions. So it was an incredible pickup for Adam to be able to get Steve Williams from the from the beginning anyway. But you could just see together that little trans Tasman sort of mm. bond that they had. Um, it was it was only ever going to go one way. You could just see that Adam. This was the missing link in Adam. He just needed someone to to pour that belief into him and have that reassurance. And I think that putt is a classic example that. I mean, imagine, just imagine, put yourself in the shoes of a caddy right there. Sunday, it was basically dark. It was, it was, and it was raining and it was the biggest tournament of the year. Masters on the line, the hoodoo of Australian golf. This, this is it. This is the moment we can end this drought that we keep talking about every year. When are we going to win one? You know, and poor old Greg Norman, we talk about the collapses all the time. This is, this is the moment we can actually end all that, even if it's temporarily, like just let's get this done. And, and, 
for Steve to have the the minerals in that moment to be so sure and to say, no, Adam, I know this putt. I've seen it. I've seen it with Greg. He, he saw it with a host of players, obviously Tiger, Greg, you know, Ray Floyd. I mean, he's been there in that situation with the biggest names in the game and and for Adam – and it's great for Adam to question because this is Adam's moment. Like, this is, are you sure? And pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. And the thing that surprised me was that Adam was so far out with his route. Like, Adam, yeah. He was a cup and a half out of it. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's a massive, massive difference. So, to, you know, listening to Adam retell that is to have that trust in someone like Steve and then to actually execute it. I mean, it's one thing learning what that putt's going to do from a bloke who knows. But it's, just, it's another thing, executing it in that moment with all that pressure. Um, extraordinary moment, extraordinary moment. And, um, and you know, it's it's not no surprise to see they're back together working on and off in the moment. And I think that's the best thing that could possibly happen for Adam too. I think, you know, he's 42 and probably a lot of people think he's probably past it now. But, you know, it's come major time. Uh, we, we know, particularly at, at Augusta, uh, the amount of times that in, after round one you see one of the oldies on top of that leaderboard, and they just—it's just like muscle memory around that place. They just know how to play it. So, um, yeah, his his performances, you know, just continue to. I guess are they surpassing what people's expectations are of Adam Scott at the moment? Yeah, you know, like Adam's a great—he's he's a great golfer. I, I think he's performing really well, and and on any given day, he can he can still beat anyone. I think so. Yeah, and. One of the great myths about Adam, I mean, he's he's copped a lot of grief over the years for his putting, and I'm, I've chatted to his old man about this, and he, I remember Phil saying one day, he goes, you don't get on tour by being a bad putter, and it's true. He's had moments where he's he's been a bit iffy in, inside certain ranges, but you look at his putting, one of the great stats from last year's PGA Tour was he led the tour in three three putt avoidance, mm. So, which is tells me a couple of things. A, he's probably getting it, you know, his iron play is fantastic and he's not even having three putts. But the, the second one um, is that his lag, his ability to lag and get the ball near the hole and then finish the job on every hole. I mean, that's – people wouldn't think about that with Adam. People just automatically go, oh, it's Adam. He's got the broomstick. He still can't sort it out. He can't get his putting right. But you look at his stats in the last couple of years, his putting's been fantastic. Yep. So, And that bodes well for tournaments like – you know, like the Masters, obviously, because we know his ball striking is just insanely good. He's just such a great, great ball striker. Um, he's got that experience between the years now as well. I, I'd argue, you know, and I think Adam would agree, he probably thinks he has underachieved slightly because there's been moments there. I mean, if you'd said to me back in mid-2000s that Adam Scott's only going to have one major by the time he's 42, I would have said you're probably laughing. <laughs> but... That's it's tough. It's a tough sport. Like it's so tough. I mean, think about all the great players who've just who haven't even been able to get over the line with one. I mean, it's it's an extraordinarily it's so tough to 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 be a pro golfer at that level. Um, I mean, you you know yourself. You play with guys, really good guys who are off plus three or plus six, and they don't, they never get a look in to even make tour. Like, it's just extraordinary. So to think about the level he's played at for a long period of time, to do what he's done and to do it in the manner um, that he's done it as well with the way he presents himself, um, he, he's been unbelievable. Um, he's, he's an icon of the sport, really, and it's no surprise that he's now moving into, um, you know, an advisory role with the PGA Tour board because he's just, he's just a smart guy. Did, Smart that, guy. did that surprise you, given the sort of discussion around, 
you know, Adam live, Adam PJ tour, go stay, or, and then now to see that he is part of that, um, you know, pack that's driving the the, the PGA yeah. tour from a place perspective forward. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I thought, I thought, given his relationship with Greg Norman over the years as well. I mean, Greg was his idol. Um, you, you sort of sense just with a narrative, people are asking him about live, and he 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 took it an alternative approach to to responding to those questions and a lot of guys over there. He, he, he didn't can it. He never can live. He saw it as an opportunity in, and and he could see what it was going to do. Um, and I think people, including myself, probably misunderstood that. Um, I, I, I sort of think, oh, this is sounding like he's going to make the jump here. And to be honest, when you look at a guy at that stage of his career, um, not necessarily the the world's worst idea to, to take a massive pay and 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 go and, and and do something a bit differently, you know, spend more time at home and play. I don't think anyone really um, would have had much to say about Adam in terms of had he done that. I, there would have been a lot of people, particularly in America, that would have been extremely disappointed. But you could forgive the guy for doing it. I mean, he doesn't owe the tour or anything. He's been an unbelievable servant of that tour for, for many, many, many years. So, um, but the, the way he just handled those questions, he, I think that's what makes him such a great um, personality in the media as well is because he, he doesn't, he doesn't deal in cliches. He, he says what's on his mind. He's very considered. And I think he would have been the number one ticket for them from a, for Live Golf, I'm talking about, uh, he would have been target number one nearly. When you think about his uh, profile, not only in Australia um, and in America, but also in, in Asia through his, his deal with Uniqlo. I mean, he's a massive, massive icon over there as well. So you think from a geographical point of view, he would have been nearly target number one um, in, in Greg's mind. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shock actually that he's now – you know, taking a well, not not a shock because he's a he's just a great guy. But uh, yeah, the the way I think we all really misunderstood his his words early in the piece. Um, the other guy I thought may have been a, a a candidate to go to live was Jason Day. You know, pretty much for the similar sort of reasons. His body at the time was you know pretty much breaking down. Um, he's he was getting on, not really high on the leaderboards. He's, you know, he's still a high enough profile player, but um, but being the Aussie as well, um, I thought he might have been a really big candidate. So I was actually quite surprised that his name was never really ever floated um, with with Liv. So interesting. It's an interesting time. Um, I, I said before, it's never been a better time to cover the game and write about golf. And well, uh, there's more and more. There's more and more being thrown at you. I get, I get that. But Jason Day, wow. Um, you know, you see, you just flick through the media today, and here he is holding his yeah. yeah invitation to the masters one of the last uh, handful including two australians to to get that uh you know golden ticket you could say um you probably wouldn't have thought that jason day was going to be at the masters this year eight no. 12 months ago but his performances i mean he's got to be in the top 10 favorites based on yeah. the way he's yeah. swinging yeah. and he's putting the dots off it again i mean that it's incredible like he's put his body through a Basically, a completely new regime with his coach, Chris Como. He's got a completely new swing, taking a lot of force off his lower back. His confidence is up. He's got that swagger between shots. I think if we turn our mind back to 2015-16 era of Jason Day, he just had this swagger. Yeah. And and the Yanks loved it. America loved it. And and you could sense that he's he's gaining that momentum and that confidence again now. And, um, I mean, he's putting 
And I mean, he, he bombed one pass Rory the other day by 20 yards. Um, and you think, well, there's nothing wrong with that back. Mm. I mean, that's extraordinary to think, you know, two years ago, he could barely get out of a chair. So what he's doing is clearly working. And I think, um, you know, he's a bit maligned over here in Australia because we don't see him as much as we'd like to, but that's just the reality of where he's at. Unfortunately, he's, he's got an American family. He hasn't been able to travel long distances. Um, and it, it sucks. Like we all want to see him. We, we, Australians are very parochial and we love supporting our, our players. But um, I think, you know, there's going to be a few cheers that we can figure on that leaderboard late on a Sunday um, in, a, in a couple of weeks, because he's, you know, he he's an extraordinary player, and I'm seeing signs of of that 2015-16 period with Jace. And you know, I, up until then, I, I thought that that period in 15 and 16 with him was some of the best golf I've seen played since Tiger's peak. I mean, he he was just so far and above the best player in the world. He did everything better than than everyone. He was the best putter on the planet. His short game was unsurpassed, and he drove the ball probably as good as anyone as well. So it's like. He's he's starting to show signs that he's he's getting close to to getting back there. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see how he goes at, at Augusta this year. I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if he's, you know, getting some roars going on that Sunday, Arvo. Now the other player that uh, punched their ticket to use a probably many many time used phrase uh, was Min, <laughs> Min Woo Lee. Uh, yeah, you know, on the back of moving into that top fifty in the world through getting through some of those rounds in the in the match play. Probably not surprised to see Min Woo back in there. Um, he had yeah. to, do, he had to, you know, had to wait for it and had to work for it. Um, but certainly, do you think Min Woo can? Great player, yeah, terrific player. Um, do you, you know, he seems to be able to rise to some of these bigger occasions when he's had the opportunity. I've had the pleasure of his company once in a pro am, and that was three or four years ago. So he's still quite young and kept to himself, but he was you know very engaging and very clearly very very talented golfer. Do you think that he might be the next? Adam Scott, major champion winner. Do you foresee, you know, what do you foresee when you project into the Minwoo future? He's got all the attributes. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. He's His swing is just pure silk. It's so good. Um, and he's got that that swagger that we spoke about with Jason. A young Jason Day had it. Um, and, and look where it took him, right? So I think part of the battle with these guys is they can have all the ability in the world, but they've got to have that belief they can actually go out and do it on the big stage. And just those scenes from Minwoo a few weeks back, you know, at the players and just giving it to the crowd. The crowd, I mean, that they respond to that that charisma, the crowd. Yep. Yep. And and he's never lacked he's never lacked confidence or charisma min, min were. Um I still find it incredible that he's still only the second best player in his family, which is um you, you look at the guy's talent, you think, well, it's it's like the Steve Steve and Mark Wall scenario. Yep. Uh, but one feels that could change at some point. Um, as as great a player as Minji is, and she could well be, you know, she she could go on and achieve some wonderful things. It's um, I think Min is going to close the gap. He, he just looks, he just looks like he's hungry. He just wants to go out and 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 win, and he's not scared. Um, he's he's he doesn't have a lot of weaknesses in his yeah. game. Um, just hits the ball incredible. He's like Rory in many ways. He's got he's he's not a big guy. He's there's not much on him. Um, but the speed he generates is is incredible, and you you watch his activity on social media and stuff, and he's he's just a, a bit of a larrikin and laid back, and he's quite you know he just loves he's self deprecating a lot of the time as well. I think the other day when he uh, he got the cramp during the round and then changed his profile pic on Twitter to him holding his his, his car. I mean, 
he, he loves having a bit of fun and taking the mickey out of himself. And he's he's got a really um, he's going to have a great supporter base behind him. He's going to really adhere himself to a lot of people. Um, and yeah, I think from a, an ability point of view, I don't think there's any question. I think people have now realised this kid's the real deal, um, which is great. It's great for Australian golf. Um, Luca Service, the other one too. Um, it's an exceptional talent. Um, and, and, you know, we did a story with him not long ago about his, you know, he had some issues there, I suppose, in terms of, you know, whether he really wanted to do, really wanted to play golf. Um, and he seems to have got all those issues sorted because you, you watch him on the big stage now, particularly in match play. I mean, the kids, he's a stud when it comes to match play. So, um, and it was the number one putter on tour last year in nearly every category. You look at all the putting stats from last year and Lucas Herbert is, is the pick of them. Um, so that's incredible. I, you know, I think the past week of the match play, if it showed us anything, it just made me question why he didn't play President's Cup. I, I still oh. can't believe he, he, he didn't play. I mean, the kid is just a match play stud. And, um, but anyway, we, we move on. But he, uh, did Herbie, yeah. did Herbie, is Herbie's world ranking at 51? Does he miss out? Uh, yeah, he just like, oh, yeah. yeah. And you just think, Wow, I mean, he he's got the ability on those greens too at Augusta to do some do some damage if he if he's striking the ball ball well and his heads in the game. I mean, look out, he's he's a good player too. So I mean, we're very blessed. We've got some great young talent um, making great headways into into the game professionally, and I think you know, particularly in the in the women as well. Um, uh, again, I've said it three or four times now. It's never been a better time to cover the game because not only have we got a lot of things happening at the very top level. It's the, the young ones coming through as well. Um, they're just a pleasure to watch and a pleasure to, to talk to as well. And they've all got great stories to tell. It's really good. I've had the absolute privilege of being at the Open, the 150th Open at St Andrews. I went to the Women's British Open at uh, Muirfield. And, you know, that day at the day I spent at the Women's British Open at Muirfield was just a fantastic day watching some of the, the, the Australians. You know, Minji, you mentioned uh, Hannah mm-hmm. and there's some other other. Uh, all, all, but all the women that were playing, they're just phenomenal golfers. And, and it was a, if you ever want to go and have an enjoyable day at the golf, go to the women's golf and watch it because it's so, they're just mm. so relatable to the way that they play, the way that most amateurs play the game. And um, they're having fun. They have fun with each other. They get the job done and they put the dots off it. They chip the dots off it and they pit fairways. And it's just phenomenal to watch. And uh, being at Millfield was, was fantastic. It's a great place to watch golf in contrast to the open where it was a little hard, obviously so many mm. people. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good point you make. I mean, we talk about it all the time and, you know, because we're, we're obviously in the business of helping people improve their games through through instruction and uh, general consensus is the average, I reckon nine out of 10 people, like you say, they get more out of watching the women's game because it's more relatable. Mm. You know, you, most people can't bomb at 360 yards. So what, what, what are they really getting out of, you know, I mean, there's no argument to say, well, we can teach you how to get more power in the men's game and that's fine. But I mean, when you're talking about hundred meters and in, I mean, you look at some of these, the women on the LPGA tour and the European ladies tour, I mean, they're just phenomenal, mm. just phenomenal. And, and the young girls coming through our, our system now, um, you know, Karen Lane at the old uh, WPGA tour, I should say. Um, she just must be licking her lips. It's just incredible to think the next generation, this next wave of, of Australian talent coming through on the women's circuits, quite frightening how good it is. It, it really is. And they just seem to keep producing them. And particularly in WA, I don't know what it is about Western yeah. Australia. There's something in the water over there. And Richie Smith's got his, 
he's you know his magical fingers going everywhere over there every every kid he he lines up on a driving range ends up being a superstar i don't know what it is so it's um i, I don't know i don't know all the names but one that i've had my eye on and, and been watching is kirsten rudgley and uh she's, oh, phenomenal she's, yeah phenomenal talent and, and i watched uh, the vic open you know her just um her and brett rumford you know, we all hold yeah. Brett Rumford on a short game pedestal, but the way that Brett, the way that Rummy was just interacting with Kirsten, just pulling her across to the side there, and and they were just having like a like a five dollar chipping comp uh, in the putt yeah. on the on the, at the range there at Thirteenth um, Beach. It was just sensational to watch, and she was giving it to him, and he was giving it to her. It was it was fantastic, and that's the competition that, uh, and that's the support that um, you know yeah. these guys give to the to to the all the boys and the girls, but to to Kirsten in particular, I've got my eye on her because I think she'll. She'll win something quite substantial very soon. He's going to be a walking ATM, I think. There's a bunch <laughs> of them. They just, you just know. You just yeah. know. Yeah. There's kids I've seen. We did a big piece on Jeff Jeff Wan, who's just a phenomenal talent. Mm. Um, I, I played with Jeff. A quick story. I played at 18 holes with Jeff when I was doing this story a couple of years ago at the Australian Golf Club, and he sprayed his tee shot on the first hole. And, and I say sprayed. He just missed it into the first cut in between the bunkers. Um, and I watched him, and he just stood over the ball, Bit of a look, reached out, grabbed the fairway wood out of the rough, put it about five feet from the pin, and, and had an eagle putt. And I just thought this the, the ability to to process the lie and the shot, and then to actually execute it. Um, just you, you just sit there and go, how how do you know how to do all this at this age? Mm-hmm. Like, and at the time, he was still 16, 17 or something. So it's just like. There are just certain plays you come across where you just know they just have something different, and and you hear it from you know it's it's one thing to have your own opinion on someone and whether you're qualified or not, right? But when you hear it from other people and it just keeps coming, the noise gets louder and louder, and you just see stuff like that. Um, Rudgley was another one. Kirsten's just a you just watch the way she goes about it, and it's just like yeah, she's she's got it. You just know, you just yeah. you can sense it. Um, and you know, there's a there's a whole bunch of them, and and we're very very lucky. It's going to be a really exciting sort of next ten years for Australian golf because while we've got our Adam Scotts who are hitting the the uh, the end of their careers, so to speak, um, we've got so many more coming through to, to replace them. It's I, I can't recall a more exciting young bunch of players actually coming through across all all tours. It's 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 phenomenal. Well, um, well, they get bashed a little bit in certain corners and circles, you know, Golf Australia and some of the other organisations. But um, you know, I think in in that terms, they're doing a really good job. Um, you know, helping and supporting these young development uh, opportunities and and the, the curry webs with the scholarships and, and all of the other things. That, you know, I'm sure there's always room for for upside and improvement. But uh, you know, as you say, this talent crop of talent that's coming through. I, I see a few of them down at my club, and uh, it's, mm. it's really exciting. Um, I, I like to talk to everyone uh, who has been to the Masters because I haven't been to the Masters. Um, I can't flex that, but you can. You you were there when Scotty played. You know, what is what is it like for you being there on the ground at the Masters? You know, what are your some of recollections? Uh, it's it's the first time you go is unbelievable. You you can't sleep the night before. It's like a little kid going to Disneyland. It, it's probably no better analogy because it, it really is. It's the Disneyland that we all want to go to as as a golf fanatic, right? So. The night before, I mean, you get in, you're flying to Atlanta, and however you make your way to Georgia, um, yeah, um, to Augusta is, um, you know, there's numerous ways. I, I, I drove the first time, um, stayed on just off Washington Road, just up from the golf course, and the buzz. I mean, this is a place that's like 
no bigger than the town of Aubrey or, you know, as a, just to give you a bit of an idea. But come Masters Week, it just turns into this unbelievable atmosphere. It's just incredible. I've never seen anything like it. And, uh, yeah, but the first time you walk through the gates is it's unbelievable. You just don't know where to go first. And I think the first time I went, you know, you grow up watching, you know, the Masters on TV and all you can think about is Amen Corner. And so I had a, I had a theory. Most people probably naturally want to just walk the course. So they'll work their way progressively, hole to hole. But I just made a beeline straight for 10. I went down 10, went and stood where some of the great shots have been played. I think it was back, I went back in, uh, I went like three or four years in a row there. And I think it was on the, uh, the third trip. I might have, it was after Bubba had won. Um, I know that. So, and I went and stood where he played that shot on on 10, that, that unbelievable hook shot against Louis. And, um, you just stood there and think there isn't. There, I could drop a hundred balls right now, and even a, 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 a if you're a plus handicapper, it doesn't matter how good you are, right? You could drop a hundred balls and you you wouldn't get that ball on the green from where he was. It, it's just mind boggling. So it's moments like that I think when you walk through the gates, you, you 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 straight away you start thinking about the moments you've seen on TV, and you put yourself in those moments and just you take it all in. Um, it's it it becomes a bit of a blur because you, you can't quite believe you're there. Um, and it's extraordinary. You just don't know where to walk first. I was literally like a chicken with his head cut off because I was just like, where do I go? What do I want to see? Um, and then when the action starts, obviously you, uh, you know, you, you try and position yourself in a great spot, but I mean that, that week with the crowds and stuff, it's, it's really, you just, you go where you can go and, um, you just take it all in. You buy your, you, you know, your cheese sandwich, your pimento cheese sandwich, because that's just the thing you have to do. Everyone talks about it, even if you don't like it. Ninety nine percent of people spit it out; they can't stand it. But, <laughs> um, you know, your peach ice creams and all these great things that we've just been hearing about for generations. It's, um, yeah, it's a really, really cool place. It's, as I said, it's like Disneyland. Um, you go in and you raid the merchandise store. You look at your bank account when you come out. And you think, oh, well, it's probably worth it, but. Um, you know, it's it's extraordinary. And then you see moments. I was lucky enough, as you said, I was there in 2013 with Scotty, and that was um, just I still think about it today. And the, the the moment happened. I actually thought on 18 he'd won it with that that great putt, and then he high fired the come on Aussie putt. I thought that was the moment we we'd ended the hoodoo. And then as Scotty walked up through the crowd to the scorer's hut, I decided to stick around. Is I knew what was happening with the leaderboard. I, I decided to stick. I was right on the 18th green, and I thought I'll I'll watch Cabrera come up, and I still rate it today as the greatest shot I've ever seen live. That that shot Cabrera hitting the 18 to force the playoff was single handedly. It was the greatest golf shot I've ever seen because you think about the pressure. It was raining, drizzling. It was dark. The moment, you know, he, he probably just he knew exactly what was going on up ahead of him, um, and to pull that shot off in that moment was just extraordinary. And I remember, obviously, you know, being an Aussie, we just spent a couple of minutes prior to that wiping tears, thinking I've just watched Adam Scott win the Masters, and then I actually composed myself, watched that, and all I could do was applaud. Mm. I actually nearly got more emotional watching that shot from Cabrera, just thinking that is. How did he do that? Like it was just extraordinary, and I thought, well, we're going to extra time here. But, um, but the, the the galleries there are so respectful as well. Like everyone just goes there and just they're just there, and because they're, they're all golf nerds. I mean, you you know, you pay good money to get inside those gates, and 
people who aren't interested in golf don't go there. It's mm. just, it's the greatest week of golf. It's so, so cool. Um, and to be there to see that. And then look, the only thing that possibly trumped that was 2016. I was there when Danny Willett won. There is a media lottery each year at, at, at Augusta and you, you throw your name in if you can stick around the, for the following day and your name gets pulled out, you get to go and play. And I was lucky enough for my first attempt. I never entered the lottery before. I don't know why I hadn't. I think I just knew that I wasn't going to be around. But even then, if you you do what you could do to yeah. stick around day, right? I mean, you, you you get a tap on the shoulder saying, hey, you, you're playing tomorrow. I mean, you could be flying to Zimbabwe. You, you, you'd cancel your flight in yeah. a heartbeat. Right? So... 2016, I'd set set aside an extra day just just in case, just in case my name got pulled out to play, and sure enough, it did. And um, playing the following morning with the Sunday pin placements in after Danny Willard had won, and that that was mind boggling. That was just I can't, I still can't recall. I mean, we talked about Adam before about how he can recall the finer details, right? But when you when you're in that situation as a mere mortal like we are, um, it's a blur, really. I remember. I remember some shots, um, but you, you're literally spending the whole time trying to compose yourself while you're walking around. It's um, it was really really cool experience um, to, to play, and and it gives you a new a better appreciation of the shots. Like I, I, I've found ever since I played the course, I find watching it even more enjoyable now because yeah. you sort of self you, you get vague bits of memory where you go, oh, that's exactly where I was, where he's hitting that, and. You sort of try and put yourself in their shoes. Well, I did this. I wonder what he's going to do here. And it's kind of cool um, in in that regard. So, but yeah, mate, magical place. I recommend to anyone who hasn't had the chance to go over there. You 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 and you're a golf nerd. You've just got to do it. Um, save your pennies. It's tough at the moment, obviously, but um, pick a pick a year, start saving, and make sure you get over there and enjoy the week because it's just absolute Disneyland. Yeah. So, to throw from the Masters, you know, arguably the greatest major, you know, some people say the Open's the greatest major, some people say the Masters, yeah, you can toss the coin probably. Um, but then we've got this new form of golf that's flipping over that and it's coming to Australia. Um, <coughs> it seems to have been fairly well supported here in Australia. Are you surprised with the amount of support that the Australian golfing public are showing towards this live event that's coming up in Adelaide in a couple of weeks' time? Not, not really. No, I'm not. I'm not. And there's a few reasons for that. One, the guy running, it's Greg Norman. Um, and for many generations here he's the guy we grew up watching and he carried the game down here for for you know best part of two decades um and was a hero in many people's eyes so that that was one one box that was ticked for for the vast majority of australian golf fans the second thing is we're not we're not generally obsessed with international politics in general we 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 kind of stay clear of that and there's obviously been some issues with the source of funding i think you know the saudi arabian government funding this live tour um you know people have their own opinion and reasons for not liking that and that's that's to be respected um but you know i think the third thing is we we've just been starved of golf down here and so a lot of people actually are quite filthy with the pga tour um with the way they've you know created the initial wraparound tour, which is now ceasing, obviously, but there's just been no. This it feels like there hasn't been a concerted effort to try and grow what this term grow the game, um, which you know a lot of people are guilty of using. Um, you know, 
Aussies just love love sport. Aussie golf fans love golf, and and we want to see the best players come down here because we know, and it's not an it's not an arrogant thing down here, but we know we've got some of the best golf courses on the planet, and and how do we know that? Because players tell us. Tiger Woods, every time he came out here, raved about the Melbourne Sound Belt, raved about it. It, it. it actually influenced his own course design, and the players themselves love playing in Australia, particularly Melbourne Sand Belt. And you just think, well, why haven't we been able to get more? more tournaments down here? Why aren't we co-sanctioned with the PGA Tour? Why, why, what's stopping this, apart from the commercial reality of, of it all, which is obviously we need to get big sponsors and we just haven't been able to get the same level of sponsorship that tennis, say, do with, you know, through Kia or, you know. Um, but when you think about the value in owning Australia, and I've had this chat with, you know, the guys high up at Golf Australia and PGA Tour over the years, we constantly talk about it. Um Owning Australian golf, the, the commercial value in owning golf for a year, as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, Collywood football Guernsey. If you're a sponsor on a on an AFL Guernsey, for instance, you you sort of what what you're paying, you, you're almost paying the same amount for four days of tournament coverage. Is is what's been happening, right? So if the amount it costs them to, to sponsor a golf tournament for four, let's just say for argument's sake, it's a week because you get the lead up to the tournament. You can go spend that and get your your logo on a footy guernsey for an entire season, right? So there's got to be a better way we be you know to be able to sell golf and let brands own golf. Whether it's the it's a combination of everything, let them own the state opens, let them own you know the, the Australian Open, the PGA, the women's you know the greatest women's events we've got down here, the junior golf events. Let's come up with a way that a a major sponsor can come in and just own everything and get that value. Um, but it, we haven't been able to do it because we've got this federated structure of golf where the state bodies do their own thing and, you know, and the national bodies do their own thing. And I think what's happening now is that we're slowly seeing, you know, this this amalgamation. It's been fantastic. And I, I've got to pay credit to to the three bodies um, and what they've done in the new Sandringham base in Melbourne. It's fantastic. And the narrative coming out now is quite unified and it, it's great, but we're still in that predicament where how do we get big corporates to come in and own the sport? Because at the end of the day, we know we need $10 million for a PGA Tour purse, right? And and we don't want to be seen to be putting our hand out. But but I, the thing that frustrates me is that you, you develop a, a cash fund and call it the player impact program with $100 million to make the rich richer. And it's like, well, all, all we would need is probably 10 mil for that to develop a purse, to chuck a bunch of guys on a jumbo, fly them out here for a week and play, what that would do for them. And I'm not just talking about Australia. I'm talking about South Africa and mm. Japan. And you just rotate it, right? You've got the cash sitting there to grow the game. I, I just don't get I don't get lining the pockets of guys who don't need their pockets lined. I understand I'm, I'm in the business and I understand that eyeballs mean money and I get it. I get it all. I understand why influential people are very, very important to a tour. But I just think when you talk about this growing the game, I just wonder how we haven't already been able to establish a, a way to, to prop up national opens. Mike Clayton says it all the time that every every national open should be the focus. And he, he's, he's dead right. I mean, South African open, Australian open, we should be doing more with these, and we need. We should be getting more support. Um, plonking a President's Cup out here every eight to twelve years—it's great, it's fantastic, and we love it, and yeah. we embrace. It. And and they, they they shouldn't be knocked for doing that, and that's it's and and we will continue to embrace that. But they're in, it's the in between, that, and 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 the 
you know, the damage that's that's been done over a long period of time. It's little wonder that people are jumping on live golf because they want to see the great players. You know, they we, we, we don't care about the politics in golf. Yeah. And I say that all the time with as a media person. It's like we're here to cover golf. We're not politics digest. We're golf digest. And we know, we we survey our readers all the time and the approval rating for Live Golf is is through the roof. And it's not because of anything other than the fact that they've got good players who are willing to travel and they're funding it and they're going to take them all around the world. And now here we are a couple of weeks out from watching them in our own backyard. I mean, you look at South Australian government, they're all over it. Mm. They love it. Yeah. They've sold... 60,000 tickets, they're filling hotels, they're people, wineries are all got bookings for tours. This is the power of golf. Like, it's what it does. And, you know, I I get it. There's people who will never get past the politics of it, and that's fine. But, you you, you know, you you can draw a line. I mean, we've seen what happened, you know, in the States overnight with another Mm. mass shooting. And it's like, well, you know, it's it's not worth it getting into because you just know you, you, you know it, it, is, it is frustrating from a golf you know lover's perspective you know just to feel that lack of support from that big tour now it might change moving forward who, mm. you know, who knows but I think as as a golfing nation we have demonstrated time and time again that as individuals as bodies of people we are prepared to put our money where our mouth is and attend and participate 100%. um the Australian Open was another another great example of how many people were there. And I get frustrated when when I flick on at the start of the year and, and see even the DP World Tour and some of the venues that they go to. You know, we've lost the co-sanction with them, but you, you see them in South Africa and there's no one there. There's no people there. They got the yeah. they got the you know the best on that tour there, but and some of the locals, but there's there's just no one there. There's got to be some other way that we can get this summer of golf and this southern hemisphere wrapped up into a package that really does add that value. That you say and and you talk about the tennis. Now I'm not a tennis person. I'm not a tennis expert, but the best players in the world want to come here. It's not a matter of oh do I have to go. It's I want to come here because I love the tournament. They look after us. It's it's worth my while going. It's a it's a major. It's an it's a national open. It's a two week long festival of of sport here in in Melbourne, and the people come from everywhere. Into I see them all coming into my golf shop. They come from 100%. all around the world. So and 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 they book. They they leave that week, and they're already thinking about next year's tournament. So they're thinking about their how where they're staying, when they're going to be able to get their tickets. They they're already thinking based on that experience they've had. They're ready to go again, and they they do it brilliantly. Tennis, full credit to them. And I just think golf. You think of, I mean, all the great stuff that's happening at grassroots level with participation. You know, numbers are through the roof. We 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 just have to get that that bit right at the very top. And it's it's you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to money. Yep. And that's that's the reality of it. Okay, good position. I don't want to frustrate anymore because uh, you know we get frustrated with that. But uh, you know, Australia <laughs> Australia is down here. We want the best in the world. Just bring it to us. And if you're a sponsor, there's there's got to be value in it here for you. Um, 100%. That's what. Uh, Publishing, publishing, the publishing business. Let's wrap it up on the publishing mm. part. The, the golf publishing landscape's changed. And people, again, reflecting on my experience in the golf industry, people ask, oh, is online hurting, you know, what you do, Ross? You know, like people must be buying all their gear on online. And so, well, it's very much still a see, touch and feel. You know, people, people we've, we've educated people that the importance of getting their golf clubs right is to get them fitted. And, yes, there mm. are new clubs every second day. And that's, that's there's goods and, and bads with that for consumers. But, um. Yeah, you know, essentially, it's a tactile sport. 
you know, we hit a golf ball and people want to see it and they want to touch it, feel it, and they want to experience it. And people like Drummer Golf have created environments where people can go and do that fairly easily and fairly fairly widespread. Um, I think magazines, you know, people often said to me, oh, podcast, you know, that's the way of the future. Everything's going to be audio and everything's going to be video and all that sort of thing. Magazines. But mm. you know, I still like that. You know, you can see them all there behind me there. I, I spend <laughs> way, way, way too much money on expensive magazines and subscriptions and whatever. I love it. Yep. I just want to see, touch and feel it. Is that 100%. how does the yep. golf media landscape be? I'm producing a, a hard magazine every month. Well, it's not getting cheap to do. I can right. tell you that. Yep. It's getting more expensive uh, every week, it seems. Um, we're getting crippled with printing costs, but then there's also the post costs. You know, when you're delivering a magazine that's, you know, 180 pages, it, it's a heavy, it's a heavy parcel. And, you know, we're getting crucified in that area. But it's it's worth it. Because as you say, if there's one positive of the demographic who play golf, particularly in Australia, that sort of 55 plus age demographic, they love having that that hard copy magazine sitting on the coffee table. They love it. And there's always going to be that appeal. You know, and there is. And I, I know when I go into a doctor's surgery or, you know, into a, a airport lounge and you pick up a mag, there is something about it. You know, sitting in the back of a plane, you know in the back seat of a plane, you pick up the, the Qantas mag or Virgin or whatever it is. And you, you just flick through it and you go, you still can't beat this. Like having that, as you say, in your hands, that physical copy of something and and the quality that goes into that and, and to be able to really properly see the quality of, of something that's done and done well, you don't get that as much in a digital, digital world um, because as you say, you can't touch it and feel it and, and and really, you, you, it's it's hard to explain. It's but it's we're we're blessed in that our readers love the hard copy magazine. So there's always that demand there. And what we're doing in the digital world, which is just going bonkers, is targeting that younger demographic. So we kind of got the best of both worlds. Um, how long? I mean, we're we're not naive enough to think it's going to last forever. We know that there is a point in time at somewhere along the line. We're hoping it holds on for as long as possible, but. There will be a time where the magazine and digital suddenly goes yeah. like that, and the magazine will eventually go the hard copy. But you know, I think COVID's probably helped. Again, we spoke about that earlier. People, more people are playing golf, more people are reading about golf, more people are interested in playing golf. Um, and whilst that continues, then there is a need to help facilitate all different mediums to to give people that information. So. But the digital point of view, I mean, when I first started on the magazine, it was purely a magazine. We barely had a website. It was at, we're owned by News Corp. And, you know, my I had time to go out and play golf, believe it or not, which is incredible, um, which I don't have anymore because I'm too busy managing staff, magazines, websites, social media. There is just an endless amount of tasks now required to keep up with the the, the world of, of publishing, which is just such a different... Um, commodity to what it was, you know, even 10 years ago. Mm. It's uh, that the growth in the last two to three years, particularly on the back of, so, you know, you see your platforms like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and all these different social media platforms, people want information at their fingertips and you've got to give it to them constantly. So um, that's, that's, it's been a challenge, but it's been a really enjoyable challenge. Um, But at the heart of our business is still that magazine and, it's almost it's it's almost the, the the place where people can go and get you know wonderful wonderfully written stories and and great photography and 
and and stuff that they've just had yep. for a long period of time. But then, you know, you move over into the online space and people will say, well, it's a bit of a clickbait world. And it is. It's everyone's, you know, vying for the same eyeballs because you have advertising commitments to meet in terms of ad impressions and, um, you know, all these different areas of the business now, which are revenue generating um, business models. So it's, it's a fascinating blend and one I think we're getting right. We've done a really, really good job and we've got a fantastic team who who know what they're doing and, and are taking us in a great direction. And we're, and we're kind of helped by the fact that golf digest, our mothership in America is uh owned by Discovery, which is one of the biggest media networks in on the planet. Um, and through that, they own and manage PGAtour.com. So we have that natural link there where we're commercialising PGAtour.com in Australia and New Zealand. So to be able to add that to our arsenal is um, is fantastic. So, But again, it's more work, but it's um, certainly, you know, as a, as a complete product now, you, you put us um, against what we were 10, 12 years ago, and it's just mind-boggling how much growth um, we've we've managed to do. So it's all part of uh, the wonderful world of publishing in uh, 2023, and I'm sure there's going to be a few more surprises along the way. Oh, very good. Please feel, feel free to break anything you want to break here. Um, so obviously, clearly, when you get a, a subscription to the magazine, you get the beautiful magazine in your in your inbox, mm. in your not your inbox, um, in your post box uh, every month. But if you get a yep. digital subscription, what do, what do you get when you have a digital subscription to uh, Australian Golf Digest? Well, it opens a, a big treasure trove of, uh, of great content behind a paywall. So, uh, again, part of the digital world now is that we're, we need videos and we need, um, you know, additional content that you can't necessarily get anywhere else. So, again, we're lucky to get a, a, a massive feed through from all the best players and coaches on the on the tour through our mothership in the States, and it's amazing content. Like stuff, stuff that you just wouldn't think you could sit there and watch. But to me, some of the most fascinating things we have – uh, arrange sessions with, say, Jordan Spieth and Cameron, his coach, Aussie Cameron McCormick. And it'll just be a 30-minute video, plonked on the range, tuning in, just watching them go through a 30-minute range session and what they talk about and what they're approving on. And the amount, the, the amount of knowledge you can actually get from something like that is is really, really cool. Um, and so we're packaging all that in up um, on our digital space and, and offering that as you know part of what we, we call an all-access pass because that's effectively what it is. It's giving you all access to, to the tour, to your favourite players, whether it's tips, whether it's travel, flyovers, golf course flyovers, what we... A term we we use in golf a lot is golf porn. I mean, this watching, there's nothing better than seeing a, a drone footage of the most spectacular golf course um, and how you can go and play it, you know, and 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 that sort of stuff. So it's um, all this stuff we pack within a, a subscription, um, and it's you know three three dollars thirty three a month. I mean, it's less than a cup of coffee a month, and you get all this. You get the magazine, and you get all that extra content, which you, you know. We we try and we try not to stay on our handheld devices a lot during the day. I know my wife's like, oh, you want to get off that, and it's like, yeah, I probably should. But it's nice when you've got actually great content like yeah. that to, to watch. Uh, there's nothing worse than you, you your kids get hold of your phone or iPad and they're on YouTube and they're watching just just junk, and you just think, what are you doing? Like, but to be able to have like TV quality you know, video stuff and using guys like yourself to shoot stuff with Adam and, 
you know, that's stuff that money can't buy. And to be able to have that and be able to give that to your readers, um, you know, is is really, really powerful. And it's, you know, what separates us from, from everyone else is the access to the players that we do get. So it's nice to be able to have an opportunity now to be able to give people that because 10 years ago we didn't, you know, we didn't have that platform. So it's uh, it's just created a... A, a bigger picture. We're not no longer a magazine. We're we're a bit of everything, which is which is great. It is a full blown media golf media juggernaut. I, I I get to see a little bit of behind the scenes and and having access to talk to you guys. It's um I appreciate it and uh, all of the stuff, the time that you do give me. Um, very approachable, very friendly. Uh, made me feel very welcome there at the Australian uh, Open, where it was the first time I'd had a media pass and uh, I had no no idea what I was doing. But yeah, there's a few people. Uh, in the cohort that made me feel very welcome and I appreciated that. Uh, I appreciate you talking to us now and uh, just the thought that some of that footage that uh, came out of a camera that I was holding while I was watching you know, one of Australia's greatest ever golfers, Adam Scott, um, might be available to some people out there to watch. Um, that, mm. magic, that That's enough for me. I could probably I could probably finish on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you picked, a, picked a, good, a good week to start there, Ross. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a pleasure working with you guys too. And, you know, we're quite lucky in, in golf in Australia. There's, in the golf media space, we're all pretty relaxed and a um, great bunch of guys. And we all we all share the same passion. Yeah. And it makes it fun when you get together and you do stuff. And, you know, it's um, it's, it's great. And, yeah, to have access to people like Adam. I mean, we've we got to thank guys like Adam too, yeah. right? Because yeah. they, they never forget where they come from. Um and that's, you know, something to cherish for sure. Now, last thing, uh, tip for the Masters. Who you got and why? It's, uh, I mean, it's hard to go past John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. I mean, those two guys are just phenomenal. I mean, people will say Rory. Rory's, you know, incredible player. He's in that same situation. You know, he's... His arch rival at the moment, uh, Greg Norman, found himself in all those years ago. It's, it's a mental battle with Rory around that place now. Um, if he's got the putter going, he, he's a he's a big chance. But I really like Scotty Scheffler. I just think he's he's just flawless. He's almost boring to watch. He just he just does everything right. He he doesn't do anything spectacular, but he does everything right. And I think it might be a shootout between him and Ram on a Sunday. But I wouldn't be surprised, as I said earlier, if Jason Day's not getting any allergic reactions to any flowers around that place. And he, his body's up and his mind, and we know his mind's sharp and he's, he's got the game to, to surprise a few, uh, I, I truly believe. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating and I, I just can't wait. It's, it's, it's arguably that in the open of the two tournaments, I can sit down at the start of the week and watch every single shot yeah. and not get up. And, and that, the fact that I can't do that with a lot of other tournaments is probably suggests that, and I'm and I'm a nerd. I love golf, right? So, but if there's only two tournaments that really make me do that, that's that's the, the concern. Golf in general should try and look at how do we make golf a better product. Yeah, so, hundred percent. Uh, are you go, why why are you not going to the Masters? Why, who does someone else take that gig from you, or what's going just on? Just too busy. We got Evan over there uh, doing doing everything for us this year, which is great. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to enjoy kicking back and watching this one uh, on, on the telly with a couple of coffees, and um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I've got a couple of young kids too, so it's um, it'd be nice. They're starting to really get, show an interest in getting into the into the sport, so it might be nice to sit down and early on a morning and have the two boys with me watching watching the golf would be great. 
That's one of life's uh, great experiences, sitting down and watching the Masters uh, as a parent uh, and also as a young fella. Uh, I remember that. Uh, it was a long time ago, uh, Brad. Thanks mm. very much for asking. Um, but up just up the road from where you are now in the Hunter Valley, it was a special time. And, uh, geez, it was, it's a great time of the year for golfers. And, uh, yeah, this has been a great chat for you to give me an insight and a broad range of uh, insights into your world as one of the key publishers in Australian golf media landscape. I appreciate it. Uh, and as I said before, I appreciate the opportunity to sit there and be a fly on the wall with Adam Scott uh, it was a mind-blowing experience so I appreciate that again and um, yeah let's uh, let's kick on and we'll see you somewhere around the traps eh? Been a pleasure to be on Ross and uh, really looking forward to uh, a few more opportunities like that Adam Scott one mate it's going to be fun uh, fun couple of years ahead for everyone Oh I see all the gear learning learning the ideas all the gear <laughs> mate thanks very much and uh, we'll see you next time on the My Love Golf Podcast eh? Cheers mate